Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. This morning, I'm going to reflect on the gospel assigned to us at the Mass for the twelfth Sunday after the Feast of Trinity, which is today. This uh, particular gospel passage comes from the end of the seventh chapter of St. Mark, beginning in verse 31. Then he, that being Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus was returning from the region of Tyre, which if you were looking at a map of modern Israel would be um, very northward, uh, almost to Turkey, and right there at the um, coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This was far, far into uh, kind of uh, beyond almost the old kingdom of Israel, far away from Jerusalem and the uh, hometown of the Judeans, the Jews. This was a region where there would have been a lot of Greek-speaking Gentiles, um, pagans. He was in that region, uh, which is strange because we've heard from Jesus uh, several times in his ministry that salvation is from and is for, first of all, the Jews. But he was always seemingly smudging the boundaries of where he said that he was uh, called in his ministry to to be. I think this was... uh, for various reasons. I think it was indeed, firstly, uh, to his own people of his flesh that he was uh, sent and was intending to minister. But he, after gaining a following from them, dragged them to the boundaries of the outer world to show them that what he was doing was ultimately meant not just for them, but eventually was meant to expand to the whole world. And so, in this region, he's passing through what's called the, the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, a very, very pagan area. And they, a crowd of people, brought to them, brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and couldn't speak. We, I think, are to assume that they are a bunch of pagans who are following Jesus because they have seen and heard the things that he's done and said, and they know that he's a wonder worker. Does it matter that he's uh, Jewish? I think to them all that matters was that he was clearly a doer of good works and miracles. And so they brought to him a man who was in need. 
A man who was deaf and couldn't speak 2,000 years ago uh, in this part of the world would have been a man who could barely do anything on his own. He would have been a man who had a very uh, weakened ability to provide for himself if he could at all. Uh, the impediment of speech would have also been an impediment of um, social, plugging into a social hierarchy. This man's needs were not just physical, but clearly social and economic too. This was a serious issue uh, in a day where most people weren't literate and there wasn't anything to read. We have road signs and books and various ways uh, that people who can't hear today are able to still function in our society and get on decently well, even though it's, uh, I saw someone post something recently about um, closed captioning and, and how it's uh, really a pathetic excuse these days. A lot of closed captioning, if you're, I leave on closed captions just, I don't know, because it's easier for me to concentrate that way. And if I get distracted, I can at least see what's on the screen. But I notice all the time discrepancies between what's actually said in a show and what's printed in the closed captioning. And that's not, that's not fair, you know? I mean, with all the production value that goes into TV shows and movies, millions of dollars, they're really falling down on getting the, the words exactly right for closed captioning. Anyway, unfair. But if that's, you know, one of the, the things that deaf people today have to deal with, imagine how difficult it would have been 2,000 years ago. So here's a man being brought to Jesus to be restored, not just physically, but holistically. And Jesus knew what this would have meant for this man. He knew this man's situation. And so he takes him aside from the crowd of people privately. He takes this man away from the people who brought him in a way because that's how the man is living. He's already apart. And so Jesus separates him physically, I think, so that a direct connection can be made personally. Because what Jesus does is he touches him intimately. He puts his fingers in his ears, right? And then he spits and touches his tongue. It's as if Jesus is saying, the things that are uh, wrong physically with you, you get the healing from my physicality. This isn't Jesus saying, as we've seen that he can do, go, your servant will be healed. And from that very hour, a servant, you know, in a different town was healed by the authority of Jesus, recognizing the faith of the father or the, the uh, Roman soldier, whichever story we're dealing with. No, this was a direct physical connection. Jesus is physically touching the things that need physical healing. But it's not just a physical connection or interaction here. It is a personal connection. Jesus and this man are connecting personally. How do we see that? Because after the physical connection, this is what he does. He looks up into heaven from where all good things, all blessings come, and he sighs. The word really means that he groans. He groans with the man. He does what the Holy Spirit does in us when we don't have the words to express uh, all the things that we need to express to God sometimes. God is here doing that again. 
Here's a man who probably has buttressed himself emotionally, spiritually, and has tried to, you know, close himself off from all the groans and sighs that he probably feels in his heart every day. And so not only are his ears stopped and his tongue not loosened, but his soul probably needs help being loosened too. And so Jesus connects with his own soul and groans for him, looking up into heaven toward his father. And then he says to him something, Epthatha. We have in our services, obviously, everything is done in English for the most part. You know, we sing uh, Kyrie Eleison in Mass, and that's actually from Greek, which is interesting because the service that we have translated into English, most of that has come from Latin. But even the Latin church throughout all those centuries kept the Kyrie in Greek. It's a very, very interesting thing to do, as if Kyrie Eleison means something that miserere made Deus doesn't. You know, there's, there's something more to the Kyrie. It's... It's, a, it's got a different flavor to it. It means something slightly different. And so even though we have English because we speak English, and thank God we are able to celebrate our services in a language that we understand, it came from Latin services. And so when we hear the words of Jesus, even in our Mass, these are translated from the Latin words, even our, like uh, the words of Jesus in the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven... Well, that comes from the Latin. It was, the music was put to the Latin first. Pater noster quies in celis. But that Latin was translated from Greek, a lot of it anyway, because the scriptures were written in Greek. And so most of the language that we see in our New Testament, even the words of Jesus come from Greek first. But guess what? This word, this one word that we see right here, epphatha, this was Jesus' own hometown language. This was his first language. It's interesting that St. Mark in his gospel preserves this word. There are just a couple other instances where this happens. Another similar instance where Jesus reaches out to, to someone, uh, a little girl who had just died. And he reaches out and he takes her hand and he says, Talitha kumi, little girl. Get up. And so we have his words, this intimate connection here and in that story. I think what Mark is showing us is that maybe Jesus did speak Greek a lot, especially in this area where most people are going to be speaking Greek. But here he uses this uh, Chaldean language. Clearly this man living in this Greek area spoke the same language that Jesus did, that most of the Judeans spoke as their first language. It's a direct connection. It's another way that Jesus is intimately connecting with this man, letting him hear for the first time, right? This is the first word that he's hearing. Ephatha. It's now the word that means be opened to us. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. This is such an interesting uh, and notable, noteworthy story that 
the church in her services has maintained it. When we are baptized and chrismated into the church, the priest, following Jesus' example here, takes a little bit of spit and touches our mouth. The priest in persona Christi is saying, take, take the physicality that Jesus has preserved in his church through the sacraments and let it affect you, your body. Let your mouth now speak the words of the gospel, the words that you've been entrusted with now as a member of the church. And when he touches the ears, he says, Epthatha, be opened. He uses an Aramaic word, Jesus' own Aramaic word. We're listening to the very syllables enunciated by our Lord. Epthatha, be opened. And everyone who comes into the church hears this word, be opened. What does that mean? Does that mean we're anticipating that uh, the little children that we're baptizing and chrismating are deaf? No, we do it for people coming into the church who've already been baptized, and when we chrismate them, knowing full well that they can hear, we still say this and do this action. Clearly, because now, in the context of this service, what we're seeing is what Jesus did for this man is what he does spiritually for us coming into his church. Our ears need to be opened to hear the truth of God. There are so many things that we hear in this world. Garbage <laughs> that we're forced to listen to all the time. Noise that's just constantly drowning us in sound and just ugliness. We can't help but hear those things. But we do need help hearing God in those things. When we hear people cursing and yelling, do we hear pain in their voice? Do we hear confusion? Are they cursing and yelling? Are they spouting nonsense and noise? Are they just talking to hear themselves because they need some healing? Are we able to perceive like Jesus what it is exactly that those people need? Are we able to view them, to hear them, even though they aren't speaking plainly, as this man couldn't, even though they have their own impediments, are we able to look at them and connect with them? Well, that's what we're tasked to do as Christians in the church. That's why our ears have been opened by the very word of Christ, epthatha, so that we can hear those in need. The end of this story is a little strange if we don't understand the context of what's happening. <laughs> Jesus charged them not to tell anyone. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus try to hide this miracle? As we read through the gospel, we see that there is a shape to Jesus' ministry. What Jesus is doing is touching, literally, one by one, people, their bodies, their hearts and spirits. And he's, he's preaching primarily to let them know what he is about. But when he does these works, <laughs> the works aren't, at least initially, so that his fame grows. He wants to be heard more than he wants to be recognized right now at this point as a wonder worker and a healer. The point of this was not 
so that people would spread the news and, and more people would follow him. The point of this was to heal this man. This one man. Don't tell anybody what I've done for this one man because this is for him and for his life. Also, there was a practical reason. Jesus needed to do what he could before um, he made enemies too soon. Already, he had enemies uh, among the Pharisees and scribes of Jerusalem. They did not like what he was about. They saw him as a threat. And so the more his fame grew before his appointed time, uh, the more difficult it would be for him to travel and, and blah, blah, blah. And we see that happen. Eventually, it just gets to the point where, yep, now it's time. Now I go to Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus knew exactly when his appointed time to ascend the cross was going to be. And this wasn't it. So there was a practical reason for him telling uh, them to not tell anyone. But it didn't work. <laughs> his fame did grow. And they became more and more zealous to proclaim everything that he was doing. They were astonished beyond measure. No one had ever seen or even heard of something like this happening before. And they said, he has done all things well. All things well. He speaks well. He acts well. He even makes deaf hear and mute speak. This story is highly revelatory to us about what Jesus is about. Jesus desires for us to be whole. He desires for us to not have impediments physically, but more importantly, spiritually. In restoring this man's hearing and speech, he restored this man to his community in a fuller way so that this man could presumably then attend synagogue and hear the words of scripture proclaimed aloud. That this man could then speak with his family, friends, and neighbors and tell them the wonderful things that God has done. And through these restored connections, not just the restored uh, hearing and speech, but the restored human connections, this blessing would also extend in a renewed, restored connection with God himself, his maker, the God who creates our physicality and declares that it's good. Even now, in a world where impediments are still a thing, horrible things can happen to our physicality. As we age, or even before we're born, we all know of terrible, senseless things that affect our loved ones and our friends and our family, and they cause strife and stress and anxiety and pain. Where is God in all that? Why isn't Jesus healing every one of us? Jesus healed this man in particular because Jesus is particular. This is God incarnate in his flesh, walking among people in the world. He didn't even heal uh, you know, everyone in the world while he was here. He healed as many as he could that were brought to him. But he took on our physicality, our impediments and our limitations by being circum 
uh, scribed. He was embodied, is embodied, for us to show us that in this situation, he doesn't promise full healing and uh, everything to be okay in this world now. What he promises is that he will be with us as we are here. So with impediments, even as Jesus was healing this man, countless others were deaf and mute and blind and lame and sick and dying just miles away or hundreds of miles away or on the other side of the globe. People, even at the moment of Jesus healing this man, were suffering and dying. And they have continued to do so for 2,000 years. So why did God become incarnate? It was not to fix all of our issues here and now in this world. It was to show us that while we are here in this world, our God knows us. He knows what it's like for us. He groans with us, for us, when we can't even groan expressively enough ourselves. He cries at death. God's character of love is more important than God's power being shown to fix everything immediately. And I think that's the point of the incarnation, to show that, yes, God has the power over death. We see that in Jesus' resurrection. But more importantly, God's love means that he will follow us to the very depths of creation to save us that he will not abandon us and that it is more important for us to recognize his love and to join with him, to give ourselves over to him and to imitate his love than it is for our impediments and our maladies to be fixed right now. We do have promises of better things to come. St. Paul, after his gracious visions assured the church, what's coming is beyond measure better than anything we're dealing with now. It's not even worth comparing. So what's in store for us is perfection and perfect healing, perfect restoration, and eternal growth in God. But what's necessary now, what's necessary in order to grow in that next world is that our hearts learn to love as we see Jesus loving here. Connection with God is why we are alive on this planet. Connection with God, flowing out into connection with others, learning to be the hands of Christ as we go out and touch others, to be the words of Christ as we speak good things to others. That's what we see Jesus doing here, giving us an example. He's not healing the world fully yet. He's giving the world God's love. That's why we're here today, to connect with the love of God, to learn, to hear those around us, and to speak like God would to them. So let's keep that in mind even as there are still so many things we don't understand and wish that we knew more of. 
so many things yet to groan about. <laughs> Don't worry about those. God's groaning with us. Let's just be faithful and learn to walk in the path of Jesus to love our neighbors as God has loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.